Hi, and welcome to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast, where we discuss current legal and practical issues in finance and related sectors. I'm Joel Simon, a finance partner at the international law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. To our listeners from wherever you're tuning in, welcome and thank you for your continuing interest in our podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to introduce Cassandra Lenchner, a senior counsel in Pillsbury's Financial Services Practice Group. Cassie joined Pillsbury from New York State's Department of Financial Services, where she served as head of compliance for the state's regulator of banks and insurance companies, following on from her prior experience working in Morgan Stanley's legal and compliance department. Cassie has extensive experience developing, implementing, and monitoring programs that help clients comply with myriad regulatory requirements, including programs for cybersecurity, anti-corruption, government and political activities, ethics, and global financial crimes. Hi, Joel. Thank you so much for inviting me here today. Hi, Cassie. Given your work experience, there are probably 50 different things I'd like to ask you about. But today we're going to discuss political law and specifically presidential election year issues and a focus on financial institutions, investment advisors, and government contractors. We're talking monetary contributions, pay-to-play laws, contact with government officials, and entertainment, although I guess there's a little pandemic going on that might interfere with that a bit. But we'll put that aside for now. Where do you want to start, Cassie? Thank you very much, Joel. This is a very important and timely topic. We're in the final stages of the presidential election season. This is a very busy time in the political world. Companies and their employees are becoming more politically active because it's a very active time politically. The pandemic is increasing the types of issues that companies are facing with government. Companies are interacting with or attempting to influence government in areas that they haven't done so before. For example, lately I've seen companies that don't usually lobby and haven't been lobbyists before advocate for their industry on pandemic-related issues, including funding, reopening. These are important issues. In addition, companies that haven't previously been government contractors are offering to supply the government with PPE, testing, and other pandemic-related services. These public-private partnerships and interacting are important and good for, for society, but it's also important to understand that this is a highly regulated field. There are many laws with respect to interacting with government officials and entities. These laws primarily are in two areas, giving something of value to a government official and trying to influence a government official for official action. With respect to giving, there are rules with respect to political contribution and gift giving that could be triggered anytime someone gives anything of value to a government official or their political campaign. Anything that could be given personally to the government official is considered a gift and has limits. There are different limits under both federal, state, and local law. And anything that is give value to a political campaign is considered a political contribution. Anything of value is a very broad term and obviously includes writing a check, giving your credit card or cash to someone, but it also includes in-kind contributions or giving something that is worth something, anything of value, including lending out your office space, lending a conference room for a meeting, donating used equipment, or treating a person to a lunch or other entertainment. Giving something of value has limits, can trigger reporting, and penalties for getting it wrong. There are also rules, generally lobbying rules, that impact trying to influence a government official. Any kind of influence of legislative or executive action can be captured under state or local lobbying laws or federal, if it's federal officials. 
these laws can even be triggered when somebody is trying to get a contract or influence a government official for business. Companies should have compliance programs to address these issues. So it sounds like this is a pretty high stakes game, especially for financial institutions and investment advisors and others who regularly interact with the government. Can you elaborate more on what they have to lose if they run afoul of these regulations and maybe touch on business and reputation risks as well as civil and criminal penalties? There are a lot of possible penalties in this area. There are different laws at a federal, state, and local level, and running a foul home can result in both civil and criminal penalties, as well as possibly bans on business. Making the wrong political contribution can ban a company from doing business with a government body for two years. It can also lead to a lot of unwanted public scrutiny. Political contributions and lobbying activity are publicly reported and followed by the media, especially in the run-up to an election, and efforts to influence the political process either monetarily or through relationships, can become the subject of media scrutiny as well as investigations. I spent a year of my life working as a congressional investigator looking into efforts to influence an election. Penalties in this area can be both civil and criminal. We recently saw one of the first criminal prosecutions under the Lobbying Disclosure Act for a person who was lobbying federal officials without registering. As I already noted, Making the wrong political contribution can also cause a ban on business and be a crime if it is made by an impermissible contributor or reimbursed by a corporation. Compliance systems to pre-clear this kind of activity can ensure that it's done in compliance with laws. In the financial services space, this is particularly important because there are additional laws in addition to federal and state political contribution limits and lobbying laws that are administered by securities regulators and these will require preclearance policies and procedures as well as tracking employee behavior. Investment advisors, swap dealers, and mini bond dealers have special rules that apply to them and completely prohibit some contributions, limit others, and do require you to understand what your employees are doing and make sure they're limited to not run a foul. And and I and I guess there's a heightened um, a heightened need for awareness of these issues because as we approach the election season, um, donations and gifts um, and anything else that, as you said, has value uh, becomes uh, subject to scrutiny. And in the current political environment, I would imagine everything is going to be subject to scrutiny. Exactly. In the current political environment, efforts to influence government policy or elections is being very carefully scrutinized. Media outlets are covering the election and political giving. Government contracts are also public with public bidding processes and open record laws. So there's a lot of ammunition for investigators and competitors and others to make allegations of improper behavior. These things are heating up. Companies and their employees are active in this election. Everyone needs to understand the laws that apply to them and set internal policies and procedures in place to make sure that the company and the employees are doing things appropriately, and that generally includes pre-clearing their activity. It's important to do this carefully and not over-restrict employees without a legal restriction because they do have a First Amendment right to make political contributions, and influencing our government is also a First Amendment right. Citizens have the right to petition their government. So it's critical to make sure that the policies are carefully drafted to allow proper behavior but prevent improper behavior. A just say no political compliance program is not very effective. 
nuanced political compliance programs can help companies and their employees be active in the election and influencing government officials properly and lawfully, reporting it where required, and avoiding pitfalls for the unwary. So it sounds like uh, there are clearly programs and policies that can be put in place um, to to try to guide the employees and to guide the corporation. But then on the back end, um, I take it you're then dealing with investigations and damage control. Maybe you could speak a little bit about that as well. And there are a lot of different kinds of investigations and damage control. I've seen investigations from the, certainly the SEC and regulatory investigations of political contributions, SRO, the municipal bond issues are often investigated by many different people. There's also been in congressional investigations on political contributions, attorney general investigations. These, these can be very wide ranging and, and, as, and any kind of misstep is, is going to be uh, picked up both by the press and that often triggers investigations. The Federal Election Commission on a federal level is a very active in, uh, uh, investigatory body. They, they receive reports, they ask questions, and, um, and they regulate the, uh, the, the, the candidates on the federal side. There's also similar bodies at both state and local levels that regulate the campaign finance and the candidates who are accepting donations. And then the SEC and, and, uh, and FINRA are, have rules that apply to the, the firms that are doing business, and, and they uh, investigate and follow those rules. So really, from congressional to attorney general to um, regulatory investigations, there are a lot of different types and, and that, that can and, and will come when there are certain publicly reported contributions or, um, or political activity that may not be in compliance with law. It sounds like after listening to this podcast, our listeners should revisit our podcast episode number four, The Pivot, where Amanda Halter, the co-leader of Pillsbury's crisis management team, talks about the psychology of a crisis and how to position a company for the best possible outcome in the circumstances. I think these, this podcast and that podcast uh, can help people connect the dots on, on how to deal with these types of issues. It's been great having you on today, Cassie. Thanks for joining. Thank you very much, Joe. It's my pleasure. And now it's time for This Week in History. When the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the one that would grant American women the constitutional right to vote, was first proposed in Congress in 1878, no one knew that a 40-year struggle was about to ensue. August 18th, 1920, will be remembered because that's when Tennessee became the 36th state to ratify the so-called Susan B. Anthony Amendment. Unfortunately, it would take another 50 years for that right to be enforced effectively for the benefit of all African, Asian, and Native American women and other minority women across the United States. But that's a story for another day. The tale of what happened in Tennessee 100 years ago, like all big stories, would not be complete without the telling of a small story that snatched this major suffragette victory from the jaws of defeat. It involves a then little-known 24-year-old named Harry Byrne, a young state legislator from Tennessee in only his second year in office who had been persuaded by his colleagues to vote against ratification. The amendment was teetering. 35 of the 48 states had already ratified it, and only one more state was needed to adopt it. But momentum from earlier in the year was fading. Four states were called upon to hold legislative sessions to bring the amendment to a vote that summer, 
and three had declined to do so. Everything was riding on Tennessee. After weeks of intense lobbying, the Tennessee legislature was split 48-48, which would mean the amendment would fail. And then, out of nowhere, a woman stepped into the picture. Not a suffragette, not an activist, just a mom, Harry Burns' mom. Phoebe Burns sent her son a note the morning of the vote, urging him to be, quote, a good boy, close quote, and put the rat in ratification. I think you know how this story ends. Mother knows best. Harry changed his mind. And the rest, as they say, is history. That's all for today. Until next time, keep enjoying the summer. And thank you for listening to Pillsbury's Industry Insights podcast.